morning, church. It's great to see all of you. And uh, man, what an exciting day to be here. We get to witness a baptism. We get to start this new series exploring who Jesus is. And so I hope you're excited to be here uh, this morning. I think uh, God has something powerful to say in this, in this passage. The whole uh, Jesus is series, we've been walking through the book of Matthew. Actually, the very first, when I first became the lead pastor, the first series that I walked us through was a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, beginning back all the way back in Matthew chapter 5. And so over the course of several years now, we've been walking through the book of Matthew. And so for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 15, 16, and 17. And as we explored those passages and looked at it, Jesus' identity just keeps leaping off the page. There's a, a segment where Jesus says to his followers, hey, who's, who do the crowds say that I am? Who's everybody saying that I am? And then ultimately, who do you guys say that I am? Uh, there's a moment where he goes up on the mountain and his glory is revealed for Peter and James and John and they get to see him glorified. There's, there's times where the Pharisees come and they challenge his authority and, and who he is. And so that's the big question for all of us to ask as we go through the series to say, who is Jesus? How, how would I finish that sentence? Jesus is what? Your answer to that is the most important thing that you'll probably ever say about yourself. How you answer that question defines of the person that you are. And so I want you to think about that not only today, but, but going forward through the rest of the series. And if you have artistic inclinations, you can, uh, can make a little five-second video. You can grab a, you guys should have all got invite cards on your chairs. You grab a Sharpie and write as God is revealing himself through the series that Jesus is. Write your answer there and uh, take a little five or six-second video of it or a picture. Get artistic with it. And we might even work you into the opening uh, series segment here at, at some point. I know uh, Dottie, uh, Dottie Cullen said that Jesus is a gentleman and a good dancer. So I'm going to have to figure out what that means. That was her Facebook post. I think it's true. I need to follow up with her and find out exactly what she meant by that. But man, Jesus is. This, is. this is a powerful opportunity for us to explore who Jesus is. And there's a very present reality in it too, right? It's not just that Jesus was and Jesus will be, but Jesus is today. And so as we look at this passage today, there is truth that should impact us right where we are in this moment. We should walk out today with a greater understanding of who he is, and it should make a difference in the way uh, that we live our lives. Uh, I want to ask you guys to pray with me, and then we'll begin uh, this morning. Father, we thank you for the, the privilege of coming here this morning to, uh, to be with you and to um, just draw near to your word. And um, God, we, we love the Bible. We're grateful for it. Uh, we don't worship the Bible, uh, but the Bible is, is your written word that tells us who you are. It displays your heart. And we want to have hearts that match your heart. And so, uh, God, just help us to do that this morning. Help us to do what we can't do on our own, but through the power of your spirit, help us to grow closer to you. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. And so uh, you all also got, uh, uh, we, uh, we wanted to make uh, sure that everybody got response cards. So we put them on all your seats. And, uh, and if you're taking notes today, you can write down, Jesus is a heart surgeon is the name of this, uh, this message. And hopefully that will become clear as we walk through the passage. So what I'd like to do is read Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And then we're going to spend our time together just kind of breaking it down and kind of understanding it through a couple different lenses. But it says this, Matthew chapter 15 Verse 1, when the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, they said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they did not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, Why, why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. He called the people to him, and he said to them, Honor, or Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, hey, Did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart? And this defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Man, what a powerful passage and what a, what a challenge Jesus throws at the Pharisees in this moment. And so really what we're looking at today, the, the big idea is this, that, that in theory, uh, the goal of religion is so that we can be viewed righteous by God. The, the goal of having a religious practice or doing religious works is so that God will look at us and declare us as righteous. He'll look at us and say, we're good. Our relationship is right. You are right in my eyes. I love you. I accept you. Come and be with me. That's, that's the point of religion, to be right with God. But very easily it can be turned to be more about us than it is about him. And we can turn religion into something that we use to be righteous in our own eyes and to identify who is in and who is out. It becomes a, a set of ceremonies and habits and practices and rituals that serve as these fences around our community. And it just becomes identifiers to say like, okay, everybody that's, that's doing these things or avoiding these things, they're in and all the other people are out. And so it becomes this dividing thing. And very quickly, it can become not about God at all. It just becomes about us and how righteous we are in our own eyes. And that's what the Pharisees were dealing with in this situation. And so, so I want you to see three things here. One, uh, this is what we're going to look at today. Being pure before God is the right goal. <laughs> the conversation started in the right direction. They were talking about the right thing, that to be pure with God is what we should be striving for. It's what we should be pursuing. And so that is the right goal. But number two, it's God's word that identifies how to be right with him by showing us his heart. It's good. The goal is to be right with God. And the way that we find that out is through God's word. His word is what shows, because his word reveals his heart. And then the third thing that we're going to look at and see, it's that our, it's our hearts that make us either pure or impure. Ultimately, it's our heart and how closely it's aligned with the heart of God that makes us pure or impure. Let's start with number one. Being pure with God is the right goal. The, the Pharisees came and they asked him a question about cleanliness, about, about being undefiled. Um, and, but they wanted to talk about washing hands. And Jesus said, hey, this, this sounds like you're asking the right question, but really, uh, that's not at the heart of what you really want to ask about. You really want to ask about whether me, uh, my disciples, and I are with you guys. <laughs> you really want to know of whether we're aligned politically and strategically and organizationally with you. You, want, you don't want to know if we're right with God. You want to know if we're right with you. And so he calls them out on that. And what was it the Pharisees were really pursuing? I want, I want to give you an example here. Uh, how many of you guys have ever used a public restroom? Anybody uh, in the building? Okay, a few of you have not. That's amazing. I'm, in, I'm like truly impressed. That's, I want to talk to you later and find out how that's possible. But, so we've all used public restrooms, right? And, uh, and when you go there, you know, you, you wash your hands. And a lot of times they'll have a, a little placard on the wall that'll explain to you. If you've never washed your hands before, they teach you 
how to wash your hands. But here's something that I found really interesting. All right, so like, let's try to, so you first, you got to wet your hands. So you got to figure out how the, the faucet works, right? Is it a sensor? Is it, you know, is it proximity? Is it a heat gate? You don't know. And then finally it starts to go. So you get your hands wet. Then you got to find some, a soap dispenser that works, right? You got to go and then you find one. Okay, now, and then you begin the process, right? One, two, three. Visualize yourself in the bathroom, right? Six, seven, eight, nine. Halfway there. Halfway there. This is how everybody does it, right? Twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Almost there. Nineteen, twenty. Okay, and then water. One, two, three, four, five. Now, does anybody actually wash their hands that way? That, I mean, is anybody? We had like seven people in the first service that claimed, yes, that's exactly how I wash my hands. And I was amazed by them. And I knew that they were judging me the whole rest of the sermon. They're like, I'm not shaking hands with that guy after the service, right? Here's the thing. This, they're saying this, this is the bare minimum requirement to wash your hands properly. And it doesn't even get to the fact that how hot is the water? Because if the water's not hot enough, you're not doing yourself any good. And, and was the soap possibly contaminated or, or any number of other challenging issues? And the, listen, this is what the Pharisees were saying. The Pharisees were saying, hey, if you're not doing it right, not only are your hands not clean, not only do you have germs, but you're spiritually impure. They raised the bar. They said, hey, this is, this is really important. And they, they had an exact amount. If you had less than a certain amount of water, it didn't count. You could wash all you wanted, but if you, if you were a couple teaspoons full uh, short, uh, it was no good. You were unclean. And so there was all these like, really strict rules about washing your hands, and they had to do with whether you were spiritually, religiously pure or not. Um, it, it's, it's crazy, right? And Jesus... Jesus calls him out on it, right? And so uh, he, he quotes Isaiah, and he says, uh, the prophet Isaiah said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And, and what Jesus is saying is he's not saying, hey, 700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah knew that we would have this conversation today, and he made this prophecy about you guys. What he's really saying is, Back 700 years ago, the heart of the people of the nation of Israel was exactly the same way that you guys are today. And he prophesied that over them then, and it's still true today. You think that you're honoring the traditions of your forefathers, these, these honored and powerful and meaningful traditions, but really the tradition that you're honoring is a, is a religious, rebellious, hard-hearted spirit. That's the tradition that you're keeping alive today. And so Isaiah was right about them then, and he's right about you today, that, that you're not worried about the heart. You're just worried about washing your hands. And look what Jesus says. It's sad. He says, Jesus says, just let them go. They say, hey, did you, did you realize when you said that, Jesus, that you offended those guys? <laughs> and Jesus is like, just let them go. Right? That's, that's the worst thing that, that Jesus could say about you. <laughs> um, you, you might be here today, and maybe, maybe you've been feeling spiritually challenged on something. Maybe you're feeling convicted. Maybe you feel like um, God is really pushing on you about something. You should thank him for that. Praise him for that, right? God's correction, his rebuke, is a sign of his love. When he's pushing on you and saying, hey, listen, no, 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 I, 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 need, you. I need you to be, I need you to be like this. I need you to let that go. I need you to, to come this way. He's doing that because he loves you. The danger is when he says, hey, their heart is so hard, they won't change. Right? That's, a, that's, a, that's a scary thing when Jesus says about the Pharisees, hey, let them go. They're blind, and they're just going to fall in a pit. 
So I want to ask you, uh, they were using this hand washing as a distraction from the real issue, which Jesus identified as their heart. He said, your heart's the issue, but you're worried about how clean your hands are. And it's easy when we read these passages to be like, man, those Pharisees, those guys just never get it. They're crazy, right? But, but the reality is, is that we should see a reflection of ourselves in the Pharisees. When the Pharisees aren't getting it, there's always a hint in there for us to see like, hey, you know what? There's probably a part of my heart that's just like that. And the question for us is, what, what are we doing or what are we using as a religious distraction in our life to keep us away from dealing with the real heart issues that we really have? What are, what are we doing um, that, to, to, to keep, take our mind off the, the real hard work that we have to do? In what ways are you, are you, are you more worried about the form and the, the structure and, uh, and you can critique my grammar after the sermon if that makes you feel better? I'm sure I'll screw up like 20 times, right? Or maybe you don't like the, the fact that I say the word screw up. And so, you know, right? There's a million different ways you can distract yourself away from the real heart of what Jesus is trying to tell us here. And that's for each one of us. We need to wrestle through that. Hey, are there things that I'm, I, I'm just wasting time on that are a distraction from what God really wants me to get at? So we have to ask ourselves that question this morning. The second thing, God's word identifies how to be right with God by showing his heart to us. We go to God's word because it shows us his heart. And the traditions of man can be, can be helpful, and sometimes they can be damaging, but they're always secondary to God's word, and they're invalid if they violate God's word. If, if a tradition of man is in violation of God's word, it's invalid. And that's what, that's what he calls them out on here. He says, uh, he uses what I would call the plank eye principle. He's the, he comes, uh, they come and they say, hey, we see a speck in your disciple's eye. And Jesus says, hey, yeah, but what about the plank sticking out of your eye, right? You're worried about the traditions. They're not keeping a tradition that, that you guys value, but what about the tradition that you have that's in direct violation of God's word? And so he points them to this, this fact that at this time the Pharisees were saying, hey, back then there wasn't a, uh, a retirement plan, there wasn't social security, there wasn't 401k, and uh, and, and a Roth IRA, like they didn't have any of those things. So their retirement plan was their children, right? I'm going to work until I can't work anymore, and then you're going to take care of me. How many of you guys are on that same retirement plan today, right? We're still there, right? We haven't changed too much. Um, but sometimes there was, there was dispute, there was strife, and so what the Pharisees told the people is, hey, if your parents come to you and they want money, they want you to provide for them, you can say to them, hey, what I would have given to you, I have dedicated it to the Lord, I've committed it to the, to the sanctuary, to the, uh, to the synagogue. And if you said that to your parents, then they no longer had any right to ask anything of you. They lost their claim on it. And, and so in doing that, Jesus said, hey, when you do that, you're violating the commandment that tells you to honor your father and mother. You're actually validating their dishonor of their parents. And they, and they held it so highly, they said, once you make that vow, even if you reconcile with your parents, then you're still, like, you're bound by the vow. So you say, hey, I know we're, we're good, and now I'd love to help you out, but I actually, I vowed that that was... That was d devoted to God, so I, I, I can't give it to you. I want to, but if I do, I'll actually be breaking my vow, and then I'll be unholy. I'll be defiled. And so they put people in this weird position where they, in order to keep the tradition, they had to break God's law. And we love, you know, let, let's be honest, that religion loves to do that. Uh, that. It creates these impossible scenarios where there's no win, and that's not what the heart of Jesus is. Even when... A, even when a tradition is a good thing. Uh, we, we can't confuse with God's law. Uh, this is a great example today, man. It was awesome to hear Cody. How many of you guys were encouraged by Cody's testimony? I mean, that was awesome, right? Like, that, was, that was incredible. And that was a blessing 
to our church that he was willing to do that, to sit down and to put it down on tape so that you guys could hear it and be blessed by it. And what we found over and over again is the exact things that were coming out of his mouth are the things that are on some of your hearts and you've been, you've been wrestling with it. And hearing Cody say that is going to be the catalyst that pushes you to say, hey, you know what, it's time for me to be obedient in baptism. It's time for me to take that step because I've seen him do it and he's, he's trailblazed for me, right? But, but that's a great tradition that we have at Riverside, but it's not a biblical requirement. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, you must give your testimony before the church, before entering into the baptismal waters. And so what we found, and we've been challenged with that a couple times, is people said, hey, you know what? I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I profess him as my Savior and stuff. I am just, I have this crazy phobia of talking in public, and to get up in front of 100 people is like virtually impossible for me. And so I really want to be obedient in baptism, but, but I'm, I'm just stuck. And so what we've done in some of those situations is said, hey, you know what? Are you part of a small group? Do you have a, a Bible study that you meet with? Come in on a Saturday morning. Come in with your group, and we'll do the baptism on Saturday morning with, a, with, with the, the, the group that's close to you. Uh, the, the deal is to be obedient with God above anything else. We love it if you come in, in front of the church and, and give your testimony on video. That's amazing. It's powerful. Cody's like, I didn't know that was an option, or I would have maybe. <laughs> right? But that's a tradition. That's not something that we hold to rigidly. That, uh, there's value in it. We see value in it. But, but there are situations where we say, hey, forget tradition. We just want you to be obedient uh, to Jesus. Um, it, here's the problem. When we, when, we, when we intermingle tradition and God's law too much, people get confused, and it, and it misrepresents God at times. I want to show you guys a, a clip of, of something that kind of helps illustrate this point. Regis Pilgrim and Kelly Ripa. No, I'm sorry. We can't accept that. And Lee, it's your turn. Why? There is a why, yeah. You have $900. What do you want to I'd do? I'd like to buy a vowel, please. Okay. An I. Yeah, four I's. I'd like to buy one more vowel, Pat. An A. Mm -hmm. That's one A. No more vowels. I'd like to sell the puzzle, Pat. Okay, go ahead. Regis Feldman and Kelly Repo. Well, what do you think there? That's why, you know, it's good to have it. He's shaking his head now. Now, Shane... You have $3,850. Uh, you want to take another shot at it? I'd like to solve the puzzle, okay. please. Regis Philman and Kelly Rippa. No, that is not correct. Uh, Lee, it's, it's your turn. Or you just okay. want to go out? <laughs> H. Yeah, there's an H. B. There is a B. Four fifty. K. There is a K. Ah, <laughs> uh, Lee. Lee, would you like to say what's up there? Regis Philbin and Kelly Ripa. No. Uh, George, you want to try to try to solve a path? Regis Philbin and Kelly Ripa. There you go. <laughs> So I love that for multiple reasons. Uh, so if you did, if you couldn't hear it, the audio wasn't great, you know. But at first it says Regis Philburn and Kelly Ripa, and they denied that. Uh, Regis Philburn and Kelly Ripa 
Regis Philbin and Kelly Ripa, uh, Regis Philbin and Kelly Ripa, and finally, Regis Philbin and Kelly Ripa, which was the correct answer, right? Uh, did anybody else get bothered by the fact that that, guy bought, that one guy bought all those vowels and then solved? Like, <laughs> that drove me nuts. That's a different pharisaical issue on my heart, right? But the point is that sometimes that's how we view God, that when, when all we look at is the rules and the regulations, and, and think about how crazy this is. I mean, we've got all this, right? But there's a lot of religious people will say, well, yeah, that's a good starting point, but there are a lot more rules. Like, this certainly could not hold all the rules, right? And so they keep adding rules and rules, and the fear is that, that when you stand before God, God's going to say, hey, man, I would love to let you in, but, um, but man, you were so close. Like, you almost had it, but you didn't quite pronounce it right. Uh, when you said the Lord's Prayer, you said debt and debtors, and I really like trespasses and trespass against us, and so you were so close, but you... I'm sorry, I own a technicality, I can't. Here's the reality. God is not trying to disqualify you on a technicality. He's not trying to say like, oh man, I would love to let you in, but I can't. I love at one point, Pat looks at the judge and he's like, can we accept that? No, no, he's shaking his head. And that's how a lot of people think about God. They think God is there just like looking at him and be like, good try, but man, just not quite good enough. But Jesus says that's not the heart of God at all. He didn't put his law down so that he could disqualify us. He, he put his law down to show us what his heart is so we could know how perfect and righteous and loving he is. God will not reject you because of a messed up ceremony. He's not trying to throw you out on a technicality. This actually supports the idea that if we were able to do everything right, then God would have to accept us. And religious people love that idea that, that man, if I, if I get it, then I control God. If I can do everything in the right thing, then he has to accept me. But the goal is not to control God. The, the goal is to know God and to know his heart. Now, if, you're, if you are, grew up in a Christian home, you might have struggled with this. I did a little bit when I got to high school age, and this is on me, right, because I wasn't, a, I wasn't studying and reading my Bible the way that I should have. And so I really didn't know I, I would profess to be a Christian. And, uh, I, I grew up in the church. Um, but, but I kind of was gathering things little by little, and so um, I knew that I wasn't supposed to drink, and I knew I wasn't supposed to smoke, and I, and I knew I wasn't supposed to um, have relation well, with anybody who wasn't my wife, and I knew that I wasn't supposed to stay out past midnight, and, uh, and, uh, but I didn't know. I was like, okay, I know some of these are in the Bible, and some of them aren't in the Bible. And so, so it led to some moral confusion for me. Well, like, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really say I can't smoke cigarettes, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure Jesus turned water into wine. So if those are negotiable, maybe some of these other ones are negotiable too. Maybe this is okay. And, and from a lack of knowing God's heart, um, it, it caused me to, 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 to enter into some, some shady territory, right? That, that it's our goal to know what is God's word. Now, in our family, we have those same rules over, over our kids, right? Emma, you're not allowed to smoke, and you're not allowed to drink. Can't stay up past midnight, right? Um, those are family rules. <laughs> she just gave me a look on that one. Those are our family rules, and they're good rules, and they're wise rules for parents to have. But it's our job in the time that we have with her to train her and say, hey, here's what we're leading you towards because we believe this is wise. But here, this is what God's Word says. This is, this is immutable, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, you, uh, you may choose to drink a unicorn frappuccino, right? <laughs> it might not be wise. It might not be smart. It might be 800 calories of a stomach ache, right? But that's your choice. It's not sinful. It's not wrong. But, um, but to be involved in a relationship with somebody who's not your, your spouse is sin. It is wrong. 
God puts it in the Bible because he wants us to know that this is not a negotiable. There's not sometimes when it's okay and sometimes it's not okay. That, that, that God lets us know where the boundaries are out of love for us. And, and, and so the way that we know God's heart is by looking to his word. I went to a school called Messiah College. It's out around Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and um, uh, it's, uh, it's a Christian school. And I got there in 1995. It was my freshman year. And uh, everybody was really excited because the homecoming dance was coming up. And I was kind of like, yeah, I went to high school, so I know about, about the homecoming dance. I'm not that excited about it. And they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. We've never been allowed to dance before. There was a rule with that college that dancing was not permitted until 1995 was the first year that they allowed them to dance on campus because uh, part of their Christian uh, faith said, hey, we don't think you should dance, right? Now, um, that's as an organization, they can make that choice or not make that choice, but, but these are the sort of things that kind of confuse people because um, people think, oh, yeah, Christians, they can't dance, and, uh, and they're not allowed to see anything higher than a rated G movie, and, <laughs> right? And there's the, it looks like it's a, a rule, uh, a list of restrictions. I would ask you this. Do you look at the Bible more as a rule book or as a love letter? When you look at, the, at God's word, do you think more of like, oh, that's just a list of all the things that I'm not supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do things, and even if I try and do it, I probably won't do it perfectly right? Or do you look at this and say, wow, this is God showing me how much he loved me. Show me how perfect the standard is, how far short I fall, and historically every human being has fallen short, and yet he made a way for us to be right with him because of his great love for us. When you recognize the great cost, it makes you appreciate the gift that much more. How do you look at the Bible? It's a reflection of your heart. I want to ask you, what are, you, what are your hand-washing rituals? Where are you more concerned with appearance than with the heart? And here's a good way to identify that. What are the things that you tend to judge other people on? Well, I thought they said they were a Christian, but look what they're doing, right? <laughs> and I'm not talking about things that are in the Bible, but I'm talking about these, all these externals. Oh, wow, you homeschool your kids? What, you don't want them to be a witness to the public? Oh, you uh, send your kid to public school? You want to send them out into Satan's clutches instead of keeping them protected? Right, like, you know, we can, we can judge each other in all these different ways. But here, here, here's what I would say. Like, if you came to me and said, hey, Ezra, guess what? I crushed it this week. Seven for seven, I read, every day I read my Bible for 30 minutes in the morning before I, before I left. All seven days, nailed it. I'd be like, okay, well, that, that's good. But what did you do after you closed the Bible and you walked out your front door, Right? Did you, did you live out anything that you read? Was there any application? Or, because just reading the Bible for 30 minutes, and then if you go and you're just horrible uh, to the people around you, if you, if you lie and you deceive and you're selfish and you're manipulative and you're, and, and you're angry and you're wrathful and you're, and you're impatient, then what good did it do you to read the Bible for 30 minutes that morning? What, what was the real fruit of that? Now, it's good to read your Bible every day, but it's good, good to apply it. If you told me, hey, Ezra, I read one statement from Jesus this week, and I didn't get any further than that. I've been meditating on it nonstop. It just crushed me. And so for this entire week, I've been thinking about one statement from Jesus, and it's changed the way that I've talked with people. It's changed the way that I'm interacting. It's changed the way that some of the things that I'm doing, it, it's crazy what it's doing to me. Isn't that far greater? <laughs> right? The lived out truth is much better than just checking off the list, right? So I'm not encouraging you away from spiritual disciplines. Like, read your Bibles, because how else are we going to know God's heart? But make sure that what you're reading, you're reading for application. You're reading so that, that the Bible changes the way that you behave. Otherwise, you really haven't accomplished anything. So, so pursuing rightness with God, pursuing purity with God is, is the right goal. 
that we find out God's heart by looking at his word. And then the third thing is that our hearts are what make us pure or impure. How closely they are aligned with the heart of God is what determines whether we are pure or impure. And here's where it takes an interesting turn, right? Because both the hyper-religious and the spiritually immoral will ultimately be rejected by God because they share a blindness of heart. Uh, up to this point, right, the, uh, the, 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 the sinners that Jesus hung out with were probably like, yeah, you get them, Jesus, you tell them. Those guys, all they care about is washing hands. And some of you might be sitting here today and be like, man, I'm glad he's preaching this because there's so many religious people up in here and they need to hear this word that, you know. But, but Jesus doesn't say, hey, that it's a free pass. I don't, I don't care about the rules. Just do whatever you want. That's not what he says. Jesus says, hey, what, what comes out of your heart is what makes you pure or impure. And then he lists it off, right? Evil thoughts. Anybody in here ever had an evil thought? <laughs> murder. Jesus said if, you, if you're angry with a brother or sister, it's like you, you have murdered them in your heart. Adultery. The same thing with lust, right? Sexual immorality. Theft. False witness. Slander. He said, hey, if, if, if any of that stuff is coming out of you, then, then your heart is impure. If that's the fruit that's coming out, then there's an impurity of your heart. And so, so it's not like the answer is to avoid this and run the other direction. The answer is a, is a completely different way. And so everybody is left saying, well, how can I be pure? I can't wash my hands to get pure enough. My heart is demonstrating that I'm impure. How can I be pure? And we see a, a picture of the answer uh, in the fact that, that Jesus is a heart surgeon. And this is what I'm getting at. Um, a couple of, uh, uh, a little while back, uh, Trina and I were blessed to be able to go on a cruise. And um, if any of you have ever been on a cruise, it's, um, you know, a really fun vacation. But you're in a contained ship out in the water. And so germs are a big concern, right, passing stuff around. And so when you go to the dining areas, there's always people kind of manning the, uh, the hand sanitizer stations. And, um, and it's an international crew, and so some of them speak English great, some of them don't speak English quite as well, but when you're walking up, they always station some people there that are just like, washy-washy, washy-washy, so as you're going in, you got to put your hand in, you got to, they are, you know, they're, they're very stringent on this, they make you sanitize your hands before you walk in to eat dinner, which is good, it's a good thing, it's, it's, a, it's a good requirement, it's kind of funny, and people, it becomes a, a running joke on the ship. Um, once you get in there, imagine a couple sitting at dinner, and all of a sudden, uh, the husband grabs his heart and falls out of his chair. Nobody's going to say, hey, get the washy-washy guy. Come over here. Check his hands. Are his hands clean? Are they, right? At that point, it's not the hands that matter. It's, it's a heart issue. And so they're going to say, hey, is there, is there a doctor in the house? And since it's a cruise, there's probably going to be like 50 doctors on there, right? Like, yeah, yeah. All right, are any of you a heart, sur a heart specialist? We need a heart surgeon. We need somebody, because this is a heart issue. We need somebody that knows about the heart. Jesus is a heart surgeon. He's not real worried about the cleanliness of your hand. He said, that's not what defiles you. It's, it's, it's what's in your heart. And listen to this good news that is in Ezekiel chapter 36. And I've got some of the verses for context here, but I really want to focus in on verse 25 and through 27. It says, look what it says. Look how perfectly Jesus is living this out. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. He says, hey, cleanliness is important. But you can't clean yourself. I'm going to bring clean water. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to cleanse all the idols out of your life and out of your heart. And then listen to this. And I will give you, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be very careful to obey my rules. Jesus says, you don't need clean hands. You need need clean hands, but more than that, you need a clean heart. So I'm going to clean you. I'm going to clean your hands. I'm going to clean every part of you, but I'm also going to give you a heart transplant. I'm going to take out your hardened heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And what's the result of the heart of flesh? Total freedom, do whatever you want. (laughs) No, look what it says. This is amazing. It says, my spirit will be within you and calls you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The result of having a heart of flesh is that we want to do God's will. We want to obey the things that God has laid out for us. We no longer desire to to push the boundaries and break the limits and break his laws. When, When he puts a heart of flesh in us, when he makes us a new creation, we recognize that, man, God, you're, I want to be where you are. I want to love the things that you love. I want to despise the things that you despise. I want to flee from the things that are apart from you, and I want to draw near to the things that get me closer to you. When Jesus changes your heart, that's what happens inside of you. So my third challenge to you is, is to ask, are you taking advantage of your freedom? Do you read a passage like this and say, that's right, that's right, all those Pharisee rule keepers, they're trying to hold me down, but I'm, I'm free in Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I can do whatever I want. Jesus will forgive me. It's all good, right? That's not, that's not the evidence of a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh says, I care deeply about God's law. It's written on my heart. I'm walking in his statutes. And through his Spirit working in me, I am obedient to him. Is that your heart? Is there an area where you've been pushing the boundaries of freedom where God is talking to you this morning saying, hey, I didn't set you free for that. I didn't clean you up so you could go get back in the mud. I made you clean because I love you. And drawing it to the close, uh, I was hit with this picture as I was preparing this, actually just this morning. But I was thinking about that washing example, right? And it's crazy, and, and I don't wash my hands like that, and I know you guys don't wash your hands like that. Maybe some of you, right? But who does? Who washes their hands that thoroughly? Who scrubs in and gets under their nails and, and, and washes and washes and washes until they're completely clean? A surgeon, right? That's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is clean. He's the only one who is clean so that he could come and he could do the heart surgery that we need. He's the only one who's, who's scrubbed in, who's, who's purely clean. And so cleanliness is important, but we can't achieve it on our own. That's why Jesus did it for us. So that he could come and he could give us a heart of flesh. Join me in prayer.